Good morning, church. My name is Murendeni, and I'm always just excited, and I find it as such a privilege to be able to share God's word um, with you all this morning. We're currently in a series um, called Pray It Like Jesus. Uh, the first week, we had a look at praying through fear. Um, Reno walked us through that. Um, the second week, we looked at praying through pain. Um, Shami walked us through that. And then last week, Lesovo was walking us through uh, prayers of confession and praying through confession. And so this week, we'll be looking at praying through doubt. So I want to start with a random, not so random thought. Um, have you ever experienced a moment where you heard something or you saw something that made you laugh out loud? That just made you laugh so hard, laugh uncontrollably. Whether it's something that was funny, it was a joke, or something that was yo, in disbelief, like you couldn't believe what you heard. Well, can you believe it that in the Bible, there's a moment where the Lord gives a promise um, to one of his servants and their response is in disbelief. So in Genesis 18, we see that Sarah receives a word, while well, Abraham and Sarah receive a word that um, the legacy of the people of God will happen through them uh, in their 80s and 90s. And Sarah laughs. This is the image I imagine <laughs> of Sarah's response, right? Like this old lady who's with her girls, with her ladies, and they're like, can you believe that God and, 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 and his angels and his messengers, I will have a baby in my 80s? can't be. Um, and I think it's one of those interesting things in life where uh, there are times when we find ourselves in moment of moments of disbelief. Um, we know God, but we're like, no, man, is this possible? Laughter is one expression of that, one response to that. But doubt comes in many forms. I think a moment of encouragement that, that, that I think about with the story of Sarah. So in Genesis 18, we do see um, that, that, that she, she, she experiences this moment of doubt, this moment of disbelief. But in Hebrews 11, 11, she is accounted and, and, and it's recorded that she was a woman of faith. She's included in, in the hall of fame of the warriors of faith. So that, that, that allows us to see that even the greatest of believers the greatest of Jesus' servants experience moments of doubt. And that's okay. Uh, the, 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 the big thing, the key for us is to identify how to respond in those moments of doubt and how to respond to those moments of doubt. I'm, I'm, I think about Mark 9 verse 24, where there's a father who, wants, who asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus speaks to him about whether he has the faith, if he believes that, that, that he can do it and he can heal him. And, and the father says, Lord, I believe. Just help my unbelief. And I think that's a prayer for many of us. Oftentimes when we say, Lord, I believe, I really do. It's not that I don't believe, but hey, there's a part of me that just, there's this, these moments of unbelief. And so in Psalm 73 this morning, we'll be walking through um, how to navigate moments of unbelief, moments of doubt. And, and we're going to learn how the psalmist went about their journey of faith. Um, and so we're going to be looking at two points this morning. Um, I'll be sharing the two points in front of you, the first of which is doubt is a result of a distortion of the truth of God. Doubt is a result of a distortion of the truth of God. And then our second point, when in doubt, remember the truth of God. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, Lord, to 
to thank you for the gift of life, Lord. We thank you for the gift of another Sunday. Um, in, this, in this day and age, Lord, we don't take for granted that you've given us another day. We don't take for granted that we have the privilege of being able to, to wake up, see another day, be of good health, Lord. And so we, we ask that you may be with us as a church, as a people of God, Lord. We, we pray that you may be with us this morning as we look at this, this theme and this topic of praying through the moments of doubt, what it looks like to navigate doubt in a godly manner, Lord. So may you be with us this morning. Um, may you open up our hearts. May you open up our minds, Lord, um, as, as, as you help us understand the different components of doubt, Lord, and, and, and the reality that our circumstances often result in a distortion of the truth of God, your truth, who you are, Father. And in those moments of doubt, Heavenly Father, may you, may you help us understand what it looks like to remember you and to remember your truth. Speak through me this morning, Heavenly Father. Um, give me clarity of speech, Lord. May your spirit just guide me in the direction we take in this word. Um, be with us as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen, church. And so let's get straight into it. So as I mentioned in our first point, we're looking at um, the fact that doubt is a result of a distortion of the truth of God. Um, now, now, what we see in Psalm 73, I'm going to look at a definition of the word distort in a moment, but what we look at Psalm, um, what we see in Psalm 73 is, um, is, is, is a journey by the psalmist. Uh, the psalm is written by Asaph. Um, the number of psalms that uh, historically we understand that in the psalms he wrote a couple of psalms. The team has done a great job thus far in the series of giving a context for the psalms. Um, we say pray it like Jesus because um, in the Jewish tradition, Jesus would have spent a lot of time in the scriptures, um, 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 in the Hebrew scriptures. He would have spent a lot of time praying through the Psalms. Um, and so we, 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 we learn what it looks like to pray through the Psalms because Jesus would have prayed through the Psalms. Moments where we see Jesus praying, moments where we see Jesus quoting scripture and the word of God, it's the Old Testament scriptures. And so um, we are walking through a series where we're looking at the Psalms and what we can learn from um, the, the, the lens and the perspective of praying through different aspects of our lives and when we experience different, different difficulties and challenges in different seasons. And so Asaph was said to be um, one of the, 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 the leaders of the Levitical choirs. Um, one of David's Levitical choirs, he had numerous choirs, and you'll see it, 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 in the Psalms, the heading will be a psalm by, um, and it'll speak to in stringed instrument, or it'll have a frame of reference to music. Um, and so that was the context of the Psalms. And, and, and within what we see in the life of Asaph, the big struggle that he goes with, he goes back and forth with, is around understanding that we serve a good God, that they served the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Israelites, but yet they experienced the turmoil that they did. The enemies of the people of God would take them into captivity. They would go through ups and downs and he would try and reconcile like, I know this truth of God, but my reality is not quite reconciling with the truth of God. And so what do we do? What do I do? And so that's what we'll be looking at um, within the context of Psalm 73. It's one of those Psalms where Asaph is going back and forth and trying to navigate his belief, the faith that he, that, that he has in God and the truth of God, and at the same time, this reality. 
And so the word distort, um, and as we go through the psalm, we'll see how we get the sense of distort. But the, 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 the definition of the word distort is to give a misleading, a false account, and a false impression. So a misrepresentation of the truth. So to give a misleading, false account, false impression, and a misrepresentation of the truth. So within the context of our psalm, we're saying that our realities and the circumstances of our life, more often than not, distort the truth of God. They give a false, misleading, false impression, misrepresentation of who God is. And so we'll see the psalmist as he wrestles with God and as he prays, we'll see sort of the, 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 the process that he goes through in reconciling the truth of God versus the circumstances. So have a look at Psalm 73, verse 1. So for us as Christians, the starting point is always a statement of faith, a statement of truth about God. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So that's how we start. That's how we live our lives. We know a truth about God. We believe a truth about God. And we live in accordance with that truth. And then life happens. Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So we get an introduction of this moment of doubt in the psalmist's life. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What we see here is the, the, the reality um, of their life and the circumstances that the psalmist is going through ends up being so tough, they can't reconcile it, that they end up looking externally. They're focusing on the lives of other people. You'll see in the psalm, of the 28 verses of the psalm, about 16 of the verses, he dedicates to complaining about the wicked, to complaining about others. Only towards the end of the psalm do we see the psalmist remember, oh, oh no, but I serve a faithful God, a God who's present with me. And that's representative of what, of what we do as well. We spend so much time fixated on the lives of other people, what they have, what's going on in their lives versus what we don't have, versus what we see God not giving us, that we lose sight of God and the truth of God, and we start our, our, we allow our circumstances to start to distort, to make blurry that which we know to be true. And ultimately, doubt creeps in. Have a look at verses 3 to 12. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. We, we have envy, and you'll see as the song goes on, we, we have feelings of anger sometimes when we look at Man, how, how prosperous the wicked or others seem to be. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. That's not the case for everyone. And scholars talk about the fact that the psalmist obviously makes an overgeneralization. But this, remember, this is my reality and my circumstances give me the, persex, the perception of why about someone else. So, so the psalmist goes on. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths they claim to the heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree 
and they increase in wealth. And so perhaps for us, as we look outside, we look externally, our circumstances take us to thinking about, we compare ourselves. You know, so, so, so it might not be even as, as drastic as the wicked out there. You know, we might not even necessarily compare ourselves to the worst of the worst in society. It might be comparing ourselves to our boss. You think, my boss doesn't have the same leadership qualities I have. I could be doing a better job. And yet, look at how well they're doing. I might think my colleague doesn't work as hard as me. And yet, Lord, I'm still in this lowly position. Think about, we can, we can be thinking about our neighbor and the fact that they're irresponsible with their resources and with their finances, yet, Lord, I am faithful, I am frugal, and I'm the one whose debts are not paid. The debt collectors are on my neck and chasing me, and yet, Lord, I'm so faithful. You think about the teacher at your school or, or the parent at your school who doesn't care for the things of God. Yet it looks like they have their lives in order and their kids' lives are in order. Your relationship with your child is in a mess and you're like, but Lord, I pray to you every day. You see, when we experience difficulties, our hardships, our reality and our circumstances often turn us to face outward. We compare ourselves. This is what the psalmist is doing. They're lamenting the, the, the prosperity of the wicked. Do we lament the prosperity? of others when we lament the prosperity of others not only is it an external process but then again it affects us internally because we start to ask ourselves but lord are you faithful i serve you regularly they don't and, and, and the reason I, I, I ended up as I was preparing and I was praying and I landed on this word distort was because of verse 13. Have a look at verse 13 with me. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. <laughs> A distortion of living a godly life. My circumstances lead me to question, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure, in vain have I washed my hands in innocence as I compare my life to the life of the unfaithful, the ungodly. That's, that's, that's what we end up feeling. Have you ever asked yourself that, church? You're in a situation in your life where you're looking at your own faithfulness to God and you look at the unfaithful and you're like, Lord, but what is happening here? I remember when I was a teenager and, you know, as a young Christian in your teens, in our 20s, you know, they encourage you to live a life of purity, to not participate in the ungodly that, that our peers are going through. And I remember just diligently doing my best to live a godly life, a pure life. And I'm like, but Lord, they look like they're living it up. Their lives are lit, living their best life. And yet, here I am, I'm still experiencing some challenges. <clears throat> They've got the latest pair of Jordans, vans, jeans, phones. And yet, I compare. 
I distort, I ask myself, Lord, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. And by the way, it's a distortion because we know in Matthew 5 verse 6, Jesus, as he, as he teaches the Beatitudes, he says, how blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We see throughout scripture that the Lord honors the godly. A distortion of the truth of God as a result of our realities and our circumstances will typically often stir up moments of doubt. Have a look at, um, so, 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 so yeah, we, as we have a look at verse 21, I'm going I'm to read verse 21, we think about the fact that you, you'll compare and you look at the external, but then there are moments where you, you, just, you just focus on your hardship. You might not even compare yourself. You might not even lament, but you just look at you. Verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered. Sometimes life is just hard. It's just painful. It's just difficult. It's issue after issue after issue. Perhaps it's in the literal sense. Um, when we're grieving, we're grieving a loved one, the death of a loved one. Perhaps it's, it's not quite a literal grieving, but you're grieving the loss of a relationship with a friend, with a loved one, the family member, the pain navigating right now we're in a period of COVID, it's, it's it's impossible not to recognize the reality that we're in we're 15 months in it was march of 2020 when COVID hit us and we went into lockdown now we're in june of 2021 a couple of weeks ago we thought we're sailing into the horizon. It's, it's, it's plateaued, it's dipping, praise the Lord, and a third wave hits us. And <laughs> hey, June last year, it was hard. There was optimism. December came, you're like, oh, Lord, okay. But you, you held on to your faith. You held on to your trust of God, and it's going to get better. It's going to be all right. And then the new year starts. You think about COVID. Things haven't changed. First quarter of the year, second quarter of the year, we're in June, we're going on two years. And many of us who have financially experienced the worst times of our lives. For some of us, our faith has never been as little as it is in this season. Two, two, two income households became one became half, became a fraction, loss of work, loss of income. Our hearts are grieved and our spirits are embittered. When we, we, when we sit and reflect on the hardship of our lives, it's real, church. But what we need to be reminded of is we, we don't stay there because in the same way that Jesus crucified on the cross was in the grave, 
the third day he rose again, there was a time where it was, it was, it seemed like it was done. But for the Christian, there is hope because then we can turn to God. Look at verse 17 in our text. The, 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 the tone and the posture and, and, and the disposition of the psalmist starts to change in verse 17 when he remembers God. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then my mind shifted, how I saw things change. You know, back in the day when, when there wasn't COVID and the church doors were open, the way they used to be, I'd say, friends, let's go into the sanctuary of God in a literal sense, step into the church. You know, I remember moments when I would step into the church and I would feel a presence of God in a way that I didn't feel before I walked in. There is a presence where God is present. There's an experience that we have. Until I entered the, the sanctuary of God, then things started to change. There was a hope, but God, there was a hope about me. And church, even though we, we physically can't meet, there are online sanctuaries. There are spaces of sanctuaries in the people in our lives. The moment we move from the difficulty and the pain and the reality of our circumstances and we turn back to God, things start to change. Notice the circumstances didn't change. So your circumstances won't necessarily change. By the grace of God, sometimes they do, but they don't always change. Things don't always get better in the moment, but our spirit, our attitude, our worldview changes. And, and, and it can even be a cycle, as we see in the scriptures. You're, you're optimistic, you trust God, Boom, something happens, then you dip, then you trust God again. That's, just, that's literally the cycle of, of, of life. But the key is to turn to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus as we were singing. So verse 17, the, the psalmist then, till I entered the sanctuary of God, so but God, they focus on God. Have a look at verses 22 onwards, then 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. This is in contrast to when he was envious for the things outside. He was envious for what the wicked and what others were experiencing and the pleasures of this world. Now look in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's what happens when we shift our focus, and we remember God. This, this is where we're in our second point. When in doubt, remember the truth of God. Remember the truth of God. So we continue. So verse 25, whom am I in heaven but you, and the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Remember the truth of God. Remember, I noted earlier that the reality of our circumstances distort what? The truth of God. 
They distort the truth of God. So let's have a look at a couple of Bible characters. You know, I love just walking through the scriptures. Let's have a look at, let's have a look at a few Bible characters. So, so I referenced Sarah. So the reason Sarah didn't believe or she doubted was because she looked at her 80-year-old self and said, biologically, that's not how it works, Lord. <laughs> biologically, I cannot actually have children, right? Forgetting that she's interacting with the God who created the human body and how the human body works. So forgetting, distorting the truth of who God actually is. We think about Peter when he's walking on water. There's a storm. Jesus is walking on water. Jesus, Peter says, if this is you, Lord, let me come out. He steps into the water. Only two people in the Bible, as far as I know, are recorded to have walked on water. Jesus and Peter. Peter actually started walking. Then you look at the realities of his life, the circumstances of his life. He's like, science does not allow for this. Gravity says I should be pulled down. But he forgets he's talking to the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. In the moment, the reality, I mean, he stepped out, he had faith. Again, all these people had faith. He stepped out, he had faith. Then the realities of his life, the circumstances, distorted the truth he knew about God. We look at the disciples. Jesus rebukes the disciples a number of times about their lack of faith. One of which is when they're feeding the thousands, the multitudes right? They know what Jesus has done. They know the miracles Jesus has done. <laughs> so, so, so these people are hungry. Jesus says we should feed them. The disciples are thinking to themselves, the reality of their circumstances are saying they take out, if I could walk back, you see, no, I can't walk back. But basically I took out the pockets of my pants. You know, when you take out your pockets and there's no money, that's what the disciples did. Took out their pockets. They're like, but Lord, we don't have anything. They're looking at the multitudes, at the thousands. They're looking at their pockets. It doesn't correlate. They can't reconcile that. They don't know how they're going to bridge that. And they forget that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created out of nothing. That which did not exist, there was no material. He created that which then does exist. They don't know that they forgot that Jesus could multiply. The realities of our circumstances often distort the truth we know about God. This is how doubt comes in. Our, our, our unbelief, our, our, our lack of faith in a moment is due to the very painful, difficult experiences that we go through, the hardships that we go through. The key, again, is to remember the truth of God. One of my favorite stories in the scriptures is the story of Jesus in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in fact, in Matthew, it even goes as far as saying that the spirit led him to be tempted by Satan, to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus goes through a hardship of being hungry. Um, you know, depending on the time of the service, people start to think about food. The server often puts food in his messages. You know, he'll have food illustrations. And, and my wife and I uh, often laugh and she'll be like, oh, it's making me think about oh, that, that dish. What am I going to have for lunch? You know, so Jesus was hungry. He was really hungry. It wouldn't have been a temptation if he wasn't really hungry. Went for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says he only drank water. And Satan comes and then starts to test him tempt him. The devil does what he does best, distorts, he lies. We see in Luke 4 that what we saw in Genesis 3, Satan says, did God really say? 
statement of truth made by God, known and believed by the people of God, Satan says, is that actually what is, is that the truth? So what we see in Luke chapter four, I don't have it up here, but just follow with me. Jesus, Satan says to him, he questions a truth. In verse three, Luke chapter four, verse three, if you are the son of God, of course he's the son of God. <laughs> if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread, right? Because he's hungry. Jesus responds, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, Jesus, you got that right. That's okay. Let's try a second test. I tested the question of your identity. Now let me test the desire of you to be in control of all of this. Right? So have a look in, in, in verse 6. We see, and so he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. By the way, it's already his. Right? He is God. He is the son of God. But it's fine. Satan tries to distort the truth of who God is, the truth of what Jesus knows. Jesus responds, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan's like, okay, cool, cool. Let me try one more time. He tries one last distortion lie about the truth of who Jesus is. The devil led him to Jerusalem. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he goes back to the son of God. He goes back to identity, who he is. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself, down from, for, for, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The thing I love about this passage, church, is, by the way, in scripture, it speaks about the fact that even the demons believe. They know the word of God. There'll be people, when they talk about false prophets, they're people who try to distort using the same truth that you have, using it out of context. That's just an aside. That's a whole different sermon, but it's fine. Notice verse 12, Jesus says, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the, Lord your God to the test. When Jesus when it was in a moment of hardship, when Jesus was, was burdened to the point of death, here we see he quoted scripture. He, he wrote down the truths of God. He articulated the truths of God. When he prays, again, what does he pray? He prays the Psalms. He prays the truths of God. Throughout scripture, church, we see the truth of God, the truth of God's word, the truth of who he is, is crucial and it's critical. If we're going to survive this faith of journey in this world that has fallen, When in doubt, we need to remember the truth of God. And by the way, Jewish culture is filled with remembering what God has done. There's an image that we're going to show you here. Um, it's Passover. So in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish custom, Passover is, is one of these practices that the, 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 the people of God are encouraged to do. So the Passover meal, Passover week has to do with remembering what God did when the people of God, the Israelites, were in Egypt, right? So we're reminded that God saved the people of God. Moses reiterates this tradition um, in Deuteronomy 5. He says, remember you were slaves. Deuteronomy 8, you remember that you were led into the wilderness. Deuteronomy 9, remember that you angered God and he forgave you, right? He delivered you. So this, this constant theme of remembrance, we remember who God is, we remember what he did. The Israelites remember then that the Jewish people remember that God freed the Israelites from captivity. 
one of the hardest times of, 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 the, of the Jewish people. They remember that he defeated Pharaoh with miraculous powers, by the way. They remember that the, the, the term Passover comes from the fact that the angel of death was going after the firstborn. They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood of the lamb on a, on, on, on a part of their home, the doorpost, and the angel of death passed over. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's where the expression comes from. He was sacrificed. We have the mark of Christ and the blood of Christ. And so there's a passing over of death, of judgment, of death. And so remembrance is a critical thing. Remembering. God knows that we're a people who forget. Story after story in, in, in the Old Testament, we see the people of God forget what God did. And there's a reminding. So, so Psalm um, 77 verse 11 reads as follows. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Psalm 77 verse 11. We need to get into the habit of just reminding ourselves, church. And to remember and to know the word of God, just as a note as well, means we need to know the word of God first. So to remember the truth of God, we need to know the truth of God. Church, we need to read the scriptures regularly. That's how the scriptures stay with us when we go through hard times. Again, I, my wife and I are one of those where the financial burden hasn't escaped us. And so it's been tough financially. And the Lord has been walking me through the book of Hebrews, looking at the warriors of faith, um, looking at the times that they were in and what God had called them to do in the requirement for faith. And some days the faith is strong. Hey, some days it's tough. So with this word, the Lord was continuing to speak to me and challenge me. But there's a verse that I've been reciting that I know from my teenage years. Literally, I learned in Sunday school, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I say it out loud while I'm in the house, while I'm driving. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Another version says, he will make your path straight. I literally say that in moments of difficulty as a reminder, as an anchor of the truth of God. You see, with Jesus, he didn't experience doubt. But what he did to ensure he didn't experience doubt, he, he cited the truth of God's word. He remembered the truth of God before it even started to build up to become doubt. And, and that's, how we, that's how we respond to moments of doubt. We throw down the truth of God. We throw down the truth of God's, God's word. We throw down what we know, articulate what we remember and know about God, know to be true. And by the grace of God, may he, may he help us as we pray, as we communicate with him. As we, as, as we end, end our message for this morning, there's a verse that I want to um, leave with us, leave us with. It's John 14, 26. And it reads as follows. <clears throat> so John 14, 26. But the counselor, another version says the advocate, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is, this is Jesus, by the way. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything I have said to you. And he goes on, Jesus goes on to say some beautiful words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of God. Thank you that by your grace, Father, you helped preserve the truth of your word down from generation to generation, from culture to culture. Thank you that you're a God of hope. Thank you that when times are tough, we're reminded of the scriptures of your word. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Lord, may we always be able to turn to your word. May we always be reminded of the truth of your word, Lord. <laughs> may we be reminded that in the scriptures, you say where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, Lord. May we be reminded this morning that even if our, our faith continues to waver and we doubt, Lord, even if we go through hardships, even if we disobey you, Lord, thank you that the truth of your word says your grace abounds even more where we fall short, Lord Jesus. May we fix our eyes on you, Heavenly Father. May we be reminded as often as we can to turn back to you, Lord Jesus to turn back to your word, to be sensitive to the, to the leading of the spirit of God. And so be with your church this morning for those of us who are going through hardships, Lord, through realities and challenges that we feel like, yo, they might distort what we know to be true about you. I pray that you may be with them. Be with us, Lord. Pray for a special covering, special dose of your presence, Lord. May you comfort those who are hurting, Father. May we know that you've said you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Heavenly Father, regardless of how challenging it gets, regardless of how it doesn't seem to reconcile the truth we know about you in our, in our circumstances, Lord. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you may be with your people. Your peace may you continue to give them, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.